God's house again tonight. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's try that one more time. It's good to be in God's house tonight. Amen. Good to see each of you uh, here this evening. Some of you I've seen uh, the other evening, but see some, some friends and uh, brothers from uh, other churches, other congregations. It's good to have each of you with us uh, here today. And what a beautiful day that the Lord has given to us. Uh, just uh, as I mentioned, uh, the other day, it seems like as you get further north, the colder it gets, and uh, where we live, uh, I tell you what, it's just been, uh, it's been, spring's been a long time coming, and so being here, just uh, seeing the, the green, and seeing the, feeling the warmth, and seeing the trees budding, the flowers uh, doing the same, just, uh, just, it, it's invigorating, it's rejuvenating, and uh, just, uh, just thankful to be here with you all in southern Indiana again, it's been a blessing. Uh, but before we move into the message, I um, wanted to share a little bit about the ministry that we've been involved with uh, here for the last couple of years. Uh, we're, we're still kind of getting our feet wet, still um, uh, kind of learning the rope, so to speak. Uh, but, uh, but we have been involved in preaching on uh, college campuses. And uh, basically the way that that works, I've been asked, you know, well, do people invite you? Well, no, they don't. And then, uh, you know, do you have to have permission to, to be there? And the answer, at least on a public university, is no, you do not. Uh, it would be no different than preaching on a street corner. It's public property, therefore, uh, free speech is, uh, well, let's say free speech is supposed to be protected. Uh, I've learned that it's not necessarily always the case. But um, Jesus said, Mark 16, 15, go ye unto all the world and preach the gospel, to every creature. Brothers and sisters, if there is something that uh, that we need to do, it is to go. And I think sometimes as Anabaptists, we kind of, we find our uh, safety, our security, our comfort uh, in, in our own communities. And uh, and while we may do, uh, we, we may do outreach, we may witness, we may uh, pass out tracts, we may share our testimony with our friends and our neighbors, those that work in our communities, uh, maybe we don't do quite as good of, of going, all right, of going outside of our communities, places that maybe aren't quite as safe, aren't quite as comfortable. And one of those places, brothers and sisters, is college campuses. And I'll try to get out of the way here. Jesus said, Matthew chapter 9, verse number 37 and 38, Then he saith, saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. Pray, therefore, the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. And, you know, you, you look at society today, you see the wickedness, you see the sin, you see the iniquity, you see all of these people on a fast path to a devil's hell. And, uh, brothers and sisters, we have the answer. We have the gospel. And um, the, the, the harvest truly is plenteous. But how many of us are actually really being engaged in reaching? in working in that field that our Lord spoke about. So again, we've been involved uh, in campus ministry. This is actually Ohio State. This is a, uh, a big amphitheater that, uh, that, uh, that they have there. And um, now you might ask, well, what does a typical day on a college campus look, look like? And I'll tell you this, it never looks the same. Uh, but I will tell you, typically it starts out with um, preaching. Sometimes it's um, uh, it could be uh, multiple people preaching. Uh, there's personal testimony that's shared, and um, uh, one of the uh, it's a tremendous opportunity. Well, some of you say, "Well, I'm not called to preach. I'm not going to stand up in front of that crowd of people uh, and preach." Well, you don't have to, because on the outside of that crowd or in that crowd are people that you can talk to, that you can engage one on one. One on two, one on three. You can generate conversation. You can say, you know, are, are you a Christian? Do you know Jesus? If you were to die today, where would you go? Would it be heaven? Would it be hell? What do you think about what's being preached by the, the man that's, that's, that's speaking? Well, as you can see from uh, this particular picture, I hope you can see it. Um, I, 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 I shouldn't have to tell you that there is opposition. And as you can see here, there's, uh, I don't think this, this lady, oh, there we go, there's Tom, that's me. And you can see uh, there is uh, a 
um, but you see some purple hair, and you see there's a young lady right there, and I will tell you that young lady was a thorn in my side um, that whole afternoon, and it's a very, um, very, very contentious, very, very, uh, just you try to talk, you try to preach, and get, get right in your face and, and ask you questions, uh, but there's a lot of opposition on college campuses. Um, this young lady right here, um, I think this was Ball State in uh, Muncie, Indiana, and I'll never forget, she looked at my face with a smile, and she said to me multiple times, I hope you burn in hell. Uh, in case you're wondering, that is not a woman. Uh, that is actually a young man, um, and I don't know that he was even uh, would even be part of the transgender crowd, but he was one that uh, decided that he was going to come and make a statement as, uh, as we were trying to preach. And again, opposition. Um, this is some of the uh, some of the sites that you see on those campuses. I block out some of the uh, some of the signs. Uh, this young lady, I believe she's uh, she's a witch of some sort. I remember right, I believe that was from last year, uh, actually from the last couple of years. This uh, this young lady here, you can see uh, there. I'm in the background talking uh, just one on one with uh, some individuals. Now you might see me right there, and you might think, well, Tom is praising the Lord. Well, that's not actually what was happening because uh, there's an older gentleman right uh, there uh, that uh, was preaching, 80 something years old. And uh, he was preaching, and I can't remember exactly what it was that he said. And he was basically, he was mobbed by uh, just, a, well, all of those students. And some of them were uh, just inches away from his face. Um, some of them, actually one of them, which is the reason why I went down there, is that uh, one of them had ripped his hat off of his head and had taken off with it. And so I went down just to make sure that he was, he was okay. Again, an elderly man. They've been preaching for around 50 years on college, uh, college campuses. But talking about the opposition that uh, that we face, um, you know, typically, um, you know, your 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 lesbians, your homosexuals, uh, transgender, uh, those are probably the hardest uh, people to deal with on a college campus. And uh, you know, you don't even have to say. Uh, preach about homosexuality. You don't have to even preach against uh, lesbianism or against transgenderism and, and uh, all of that. Anytime they find out that you're a Christian and you begin to preach a gospel message, there is tremendous, 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 tremendous opposition. And um, again, when we talk about that opposition, that comes in many different forms. Sometimes uh, I mean, we've had it uh, where, you know, we, we would be preaching and there would be, uh, uh, actually, of all states, there was a man dressed up as Jesus. I mean, and he had long hair and he, uh, I mean, in, in some respects, at least how people portrayed Jesus, he kind of looked like Jesus. He had a robe on and, again, comes walking across the, the campus in his sandals. And right in front of me, as I was preaching, he kisses another man. And uh, that happens a lot with the lesbians as well. Actually, almost every single campus that you go on during the preaching, there's, there's either some homosexuals or there's some lesbians uh, kissing right in front of uh, the preaching. And um, uh, I, I've had things uh, thrown at me as I was preaching. Um, not just insults, not just profanities, but actual objects. I was at, um, I believe it was Ball State last year, and had... Uh, I would just, I just know when I was preaching, there were objects that kept hitting me, and I didn't even, uh, I didn't even look to see what what it was that was hitting me until the sermon was over. But there were all kinds of undesirable objects uh, thrown at me. But one thing I do remember is something hit my ear, and I realized once once it hit my ear, what it was because it didn't just hit my ear and fall to the ground; it hit my ear and hung on my ear. It was a bra. Now, I want to ask you, children, let me ask you, let me say this. Uh, on a college campus, the crowd is made up of a, of a variety of different people. Um, who are you going to encounter? Well, you'll encounter atheists. You'll uh, encounter what I would call nominal Christians. You'll, you will encounter Jewish people. You will encounter uh, Muslims. You will 
uh, encounter Satanists. You will encounter, believe it or not, people that uh, say that they worship the Norse gods, like Thor and Loki and, uh, and some of those Norse gods. You'll meet people that uh, practice Hellenism um, to worship the Greek gods, like Apollo and Zeus and Poseidon. And, and I mean, there's just a plethora. And some of the people combine varieties of religions and, uh, and kind of practice a little bit of, of, uh, of, of maybe more than one. Um, but again, there are, so, but again, what, uh, when you think about all of those different groups of people, why are there students, why do the students come to listen? Well, some of them, and probably a good majority of them come uh, to heckle and to oppose. There's a, a, there's a significant number of people that come, and uh, they're just coming for the, the entertainment value because they see that there's a crowd, they see that there's some, uh, you know, there's some action over there, and so they come and they see that. But brothers and sisters, rest assured, there are always those that are coming because they're hungry and they're curious. They're, they're wrestling with, with, is there a God? Is, who is Jesus? What is he? Is he who he says he is? You know, what about Christianity? They're legitimately wrestling with um, real questions. And so, again, it's a tremendous opportunity to reach those people. Now, let me ask you children. Uh, this was at, it looks like, I think that is Purdue. What Bible story does this remind you of? These fellers, uh, I think it's all fellers. Sometimes on a college campus, it's hard to tell. Uh, but these uh, fellas climbing in a tree. Can any, any young, anybody like 10 years, just raise your hands, one of you children. What story does that remind you of? No one? How about, how about somebody that's older? Maybe that's 60 or older. Can you tell? Okay, you can tell me in the back. You're not 60 or older, I can tell. How old? What's the story? Zacchaeus, exactly. That reminds me of, of the story of Zacchaeus and when we saw those uh, young men up in that tree, uh, uh, decided, you know what, that'd be a good picture. That'd be a good picture. Again, talking about uh, opposition, this is me, I think, trying to, uh, to preach, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, this, uh, that day was probably not the most productive day just simply because of the hecklers and the opposition. Uh, but again, um, but we go. This is, uh, looks like Purdue. That's a statue of John Purdue right there. And uh, it's always good to try to find a higher place and to stand above the crowd, help your voice uh, to carry a little bit, uh, a little bit better. Um, and again, preaching, preaching. One thing I've learned as I watch these slides that I've become more and more aware of is I use my hands a lot when I preach, <laughs> when I talk too. Again, this is preaching again. I'll tell you what, it's, uh, it's, uh, that's a smile, kind of a semi-smile on my face. What a blessing it is to be able to reach the word of God in this country. Uh, we all, we, we, you know, there are other countries that you can't do that here. And what a blessing that is. But, but again, what are we doing with that blessing, brothers? What are we doing with that? Let's see if we can get this video to go. Well, here, pinch me and see. And uh, no, he said, no, what I mean is, 
is what you're doing, are you you for real? Because I thought, I, I really was, he was wondering, was I a professor of a, say, a theatrical, uh, you know, uh, course or something like that, course in theater or acting or oratory or public speaking or something like that. Uh, he's like, was, it, was that real or were you just putting on a performance? He really wanted to know and uh, got to talk with him a little bit. And uh, he actually invited me uh, to speak to his class uh, on the campus. And uh, it actually turned out kind of declined uh, because this uh, gentleman here to the left, uh, he actually uh, is a, a chemistry professor, um, or at least he's retired now, but he was a chemistry professor for years. And uh, uh, we uh, just kind of, uh, he, he said he would go and he would do that. Just one on, uh, again, just uh, this is a question and answer uh, time that, uh, that I enjoy as well. Just giving the students an opportunity to ask questions that, that are on their heart. And those questions could be, uh, is there really a God? It could, it could be that. It could be uh, some of the common questions. You know, they, they word a lot of the same questions uh, differently. And so one of the questions that you often get in some form or fashion is, if God is so good, then why does he allow suffering? Or if God is so good, then why does he allow evil? Uh, another one is, uh, if God is so loving, then how could he send people to hell? Those are good questions. But there are answers to those questions. There are answers to those questions. Um, one of the things that, uh, another thing, talking about opposition, we'll back up just a little bit. Uh, I mentioned... Uh, Christians being some people that would oppose uh, the work there. Typically, uh, their approach, what, what I would preach is I would, I would preach uh, basically along the lines of the Ten Commandments, this idea that we all have, these are God's laws, we all have broken those laws, and we are all guilty before God. We all have sinned and come short of God's glory, and then uh, preach about the cross and uh, faith and repentance and, uh, and that. And um, but what happens is, is while we're pre when I'm preaching against sin, uh, people will, Christians will come up and say, you know what, you're, you're not preaching, a God is a God of love, why aren't you telling the students that? And, uh, you know, my, my answer is this, is that is it really loving when you as a Christian know that these young people, the life that they're living, the sins that they've committed, that they are all guilty before God, and unless they change, unless they put their faith in Jesus, unless they repent, they're going to go to hell. So is it loving for you just to sit by and say nothing and watch them going to hell? Or is it loving? Let me ask you this. I use this analogy. I say, you know, I have... Uh, I have a grandson, I have a granddaughter, and uh, I hate to say it, but they are the cutest uh, grandchildren in the whole entire world. They really are. But if my granddaughter was on the edge of a cliff, what would love compel me to do? Um, would love just compel me to, to kind of, you know, lean up against a, a tree or watch my granddaughter fall off of that tree or would love compel me to take action? Would it compel me to, to say, hey, come, come, come away from the cliff? Would it compel me to, uh, to, to run and to, to wrap my arms around her and pull her away from the cliff? What would love compel me to do? And I say, you know, young people or to the Christian, to the people that are listening, I am trying to warn you that you are on the edge of a cliff. You're a danger. And the only hope for you is Jesus. But we have good questions. One that I mentioned uh, the other day um, that, uh, that I am asked from time to time is what about all of the, the evils that Christians have done throughout history? The other evening we gave, uh, gave an answer for that. Uh, this young man here, I believe, uh, this was a uh, this was actually a brother and sister, if I remember correctly. Um, 
they were Jewish, and uh, was able to share with them, uh, have a good, good conversation uh, in this additional conversation. Uh, this was a young Christian man that uh, just uh, spent some time, I think he had prayer with him, just tried to encourage him um, in, uh, in the faith. Um, again, more conversation there. Uh, this gentleman, I believe, was a Christian as well. Uh, this was a Jewish young lady at uh, Purdue. Got to speak with her for quite a while. Again, more uh, more of the same there. Uh, this young man actually, uh, he was able to speak with him quite a while as well. Again, more of the same. And look at those hands going right there. More of the same. This is a uh, really. Gentleman's name was Demarius, and um, he uh, Tabitha. I was. I think I had been preaching, or uh, I was doing something else. And Tabitha had spent some time with this young man. This young man had had a. Uh, I think it was a dream, and in that dream, he had died and he went to hell. And this was uh, several months prior to uh, this event right here. And he said, "You know, I, I, I I'm suffering from anxiety. I, I, I." living in fear. He said, I just, I want to find God. And uh, so uh, we were able to speak with him and to have prayer with him. Just uh, just, uh, just a tremendous experience. And uh, that's that's what it's all about, brother. That's what it's all about, sister. Right there. Again, praying with, uh, with another young man there. Uh, this young man was a Christian as well. Just uh, try to encourage him walk with uh, the Lord. Uh, this young lady, uh, when we arrived at Eastern Illinois University, Charleston, Illinois, uh, we were there last, uh, two years ago, there last year, uh, this young lady came up to Tabitha, I mean, just rushed up to Tabitha, and said, Tabitha, I was hoping that you were going to be here today. And uh, uh, Corey is her, her name. And uh, you'll notice on Corey's uh, neck there, that is an upside down cross, and that's a satanic uh, symbol. But again, a very, um, a very friendly young lady, um, and uh, again, Tabitha was able to speak with her uh, quite a while. Uh, this was a young man from uh, Ghana who encouraged us as we were preaching, as we were sharing, uh, testifying about uh, God and His works. And he actually, uh, you know, it's it's uh, it's we pray for people. Sometimes people pray for us, and what a blessing that was to have this uh, this young man pray with us. Encourage us in the work, and uh, uh, one thing that students like to do is take selfies. And uh, it seems like uh, this is lots of this is Tabitha posing for uh, a selfie uh, with uh, some of the students. I believe that's Ohio State as uh, as well. But uh, how can you be involved in the ministry? Firstly, you can be involved by praying for us. Uh, Lord willing, here I hope to. Do a couple campuses this spring, but most of that work is uh, is is in the fall. And then, secondly, by joining us on campuses, when there is opportunity uh, for men, opportunity for women, opportunity for preachers, opportunity for people that are not preachers. Again, there's a lot of opportunity. It could be if you're a preacher, and even if you are a preacher, you don't necessarily have to come and uh, and uh, you know speak to the crowd if that's not comfortable to you. But again, there's a tremendous opportunity. To engage, to connect with uh, students that are there, and and uh, brothers and sisters, I uh, just think about what uh, what our brother shared last night about uh, boldness. We need boldness in this day, and we need to do better as an Anabaptist people, leaving up the safety of our communities, of our enclaves, so to speak. And there's a there's a, there's a there's a world that's lost, and. Um, and we have been entrusted with such a valuable, valuable treasure, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm thankful that we can be uh, that we can be a part of that. But uh, but again, pray for us as we do that. And um, what uh, what uh, what um, what I'd like to do, is, and I, what I tell people, I was at the BMA convention in uh, the summer and uh, uh, taught a uh, uh, class on basic apologetics. And uh, this type of ministry, and uh, just told the, uh, the, the the pastors that were there, 
in that uh, in that class. Hey, if you wanted to come to uh, to your area, uh, we'd love to join your youth group or people from your church on a campus in your area. And uh, if you'd want, we'd stay through the weekend and, and preach for you on Sunday or whatever it is. But uh, you know, I think there might be some college campuses fairly close to here, right? Okay. All right. But uh, please again pray for us. And if God lays it upon your heart, uh, please join us on campus there. Again, a tremendous, tremendous opportunity uh, to, uh, uh, to be the hands and feet of, of Jesus. Maybe while he's taking that down, are there any questions that maybe I can answer uh, quickly about that, uh, that ministry? Anyone? Those, I think, are some of the most meaningful uh, interactions uh, as far as that's concerned that we've had. Anyone else quickly? No. No. Uh, generally, what, what we do, and that's one of the, um, you know, there are a variety of different campus groups um, on about any campus. I mean, you've got crew, there are other uh, Christian organizations, Christian groups, and uh, what we try to do, and, and I will say this, that I don't know, some of the Christian groups would not necessarily even be supportive of, of that type of ministry, of a preaching ministry. Um, and, uh, but what we do try to do when we do, uh, you know, talk with people, uh, pray with people, we encourage them to find a local Bible-believing church. And that's why I think there's, there's, a lot of, uh, uh, there's a lot of potential there if we take uh, Anabaptist brethren into those campuses in fairly close proximity uh, to those campuses, there's an opportunity to say, hey, here's a brother, he's a pastor of this church, to, to connect them, and uh, it, uh, you know, to, 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 to connect them with someone that can walk alongside them as they begin their walk with the Lord or as they continue their walk with, uh, with Jesus. Anyone else? All right, all right. Well, praise the Lord. If you turn in your Bibles this evening, Luke chapter number 9, continuing the, uh, the series uh, on the Anabaptist vision, the subject, uh, the topic tonight, a vision of true discipleship, Luke chapter 9, verse number 17, we'll be reading down through verse number 24. It says, and they did eat and were all filled, and there was taken up of fragments that remained to them twelve baskets. And it came to pass, as he was alone praying, that his disciples were with him, and he asked them, saying, Whom say the people that I am? And they answering said, John the Baptist, but some say Elias, and others say that one of the old prophets is risen again. And he said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Peter answering said, The Christ of God. And he straightly charged them and commanded them to tell no man that thing. 
saying that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be slain and raised again the third day. And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. Amen. Now last evening in the, uh, the message, I spoke about the early Anabaptists and their vision for Biblicism. We considered their high regard uh, for Scripture, uh, the high esteem that they had for the Word of God. We talked about uh, their taking the Bible literally, their belief that God speaks man's language. He says what he means, and he means what he says. And um, as Christians today, brothers, quite frankly, we need to get back to that place. But they believe that God speaks man's language. And, you know, I, I just I marvel at times the effort that some people put forth trying to explain away the Scripture. And, uh, you know, we, we, we hear people say, and I'll never forget, I was at a seminar um, in Colorado. Tabitha and I were at a, a seminar out there. And um, I believe it was a Baptist brother. I, I'm not for sure. And um, in uh, Matthew chapter number 18, uh, he was reading, I believe it was Matthew 18 that he was, he was reading. And Matthew 18 com contains the, uh, uh, the parable of the unforgiving servant. And at the end of that, uh, that, that chapter, at the end of Matthew chapter number 18, verse number 35, it says, So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if you from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. And he, he, he read that, that verse. And he said, but that doesn't mean that we won't be forgiven. And I'm sitting there thinking, well, Jesus just said, if you from your heart forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses, so likewise, your heavenly father, basically he's not going to forgive you. And I was like, I think it means what it says. Brothers and sisters, we need to forgive. Or we won't be forgiven. It's that simple. But again, the effort that people put forth to try to explain away the Word of God, it would appear that God is saying, but. But we need to get back to the place, brothers and sisters, that the Word of God is held as the standard by which everything, everything, everything is judged. We need to embrace this vision that these early Anabaptists had for Biblicism. And then we talked about, uh, in closing, we talked about how they held the, uh, the words of Jesus, the New Testament uh, writers, to be of a higher authority than Moses and the writers of the Old Testament. They did not hold to the concept, and I don't know if we got into that last night, but they did not hold to the concept of a flat Bible. That is, that the Old Testament and the New Testament are equal in authority. We as Anabaptists don't believe that. The words of, the G of Jesus, the writers of the New Testament, were held above Moses and the Old Testament writers. Well, time, time and time again, for example, Matthew chapter 5, we know that as the, the Sermon on the Mount. Time and time again, we read there in that sermon that Jesus says something like this. He says, you have heard that it was said of them of old time, speaking of the Old Testament. But what is it that he says over and over and over and over again? He says, but I say unto you. You have heard what it was written back then, but this is what I am telling you. And again, we believe that, that, that the Old Testament from Genesis to Malachi, it is inspired, it is inerrant, it is infallible. We believe that. We better believe that. We believe that, but as Anabaptists, again, we believe that the words of Jesus and the writings of the, the, uh, the writers of the New Testament, they hold higher authority for us as his church, as Christ followers. And so when those, those, the, the question comes up, do we go with the Old Testament? Do we go with Jesus? We go with Jesus. We go with what Jesus said. But I say unto you, 
And then moving on this evening, the next characteristic of the Anabaptist vision was this, their view of what Christianity uh, was, their view of what it is, and it is this. The essence of Christianity is discipleship. Let me say that again. The essence of Christianity is discipleship, or if we were to sum that up in uh, two short, simple words, two short, simple, yet profound words of Jesus, it would be follow me. Follow me. This was a very key part, an integral part of the Anabaptist vision, to follow Jesus. Now, in our text tonight, in, in the book of Luke, there, verse 23, he said unto them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Follow me, brothers and sisters. That is Christianity. That is Christianity. It is following Jesus. And what blesses me and what challenges me was how seriously these saints, these early Anabaptists, how seriously and how earnestly and how faithfully they sought to do that. To follow Jesus in every area of their lives. In their families, in, in the church, or at least as they related to the church. In their relationships, in their business, in every area of their life. It was to follow Jesus. It was to follow Christ. To follow Jesus in everything. And when they looked at the church, around them they were troubled by what they saw. In the word, they saw Jesus, they saw his example, but again, they looked at uh, the people who called themselves Christian and they saw something different entirely. They didn't see Jesus. They didn't see holiness. They didn't see righteousness. They didn't see amendment of life or change. There was very little difference between the Christian and the sinner. And truth be told, it seems as if after Martin Luther, there in Wittenberg, Germany, at the, at the, uh, the Castle Church, after he uh, nailed his 95 theses there, and again, that, that is uh, generally considered to be the start of the Protestant Reformation, that it, it, instead of it, it, it raising the level of spirituality among the Protestants, it actually lowered the standard of living among the Protestants. Luther himself commented in April 1522 where he expressed the hope that with these words, he says, we who are at present well nigh heathens under a Christian name may yet organize a Christian assembly. And he came to lament the fact, he came to realize this, that the impiety of the people is greater under the gospel than it was under the papacy, under the Catholic Church. Harold S. Bender, in his address, The Anabaptist Vision, which is again where we get our title for this series, said this. In 1525, Luther had an important conversation with Kaspar Schwinkfeld concerning the establishment of the New Testament church. Schwenkfeld pointed out that the establishment of the new church had failed to result in the spiritual and moral betterment of the people. A fact which Luther admitted for Schwenkfeld states that Luther regretted very much that no amendment of life was in evidence. Between 1522 and 1525, Luther repeatedly mentioned his concern to establish a true Christian church and his desire to provide for earnest Christians or genuine Christians who would confess the gospel with their lives as well as their tongues. He thought of entering the names of those earnest Christians, that's what he called them, in a special book and having them meet separately from the mass of the nominal Christians but concluding that he would not have sufficient of such people, he dropped the plan. So he couldn't even find enough what he, of, of, of people who he considered to be real Christians even to have a church. 
Zwingli faced the same problem, Ulrich Zwingli, who we talked about. He was, in fact, specifically challenged by the Swiss brethren to set up such a church, but he refused and followed Luther's course. Both reformers decided that it was better to include the masses within the fold of the church than to form a fellowship of true Christians only. Both certainly expected the preaching of the word and the ministration of the sacraments to bear fruit in the earnest Christian's life, at least among some, but they reckoned with a permanently large and indifferent mass. And in taking this course, said the Anabaptists, the reformers surrendered their original purpose and abandoned the divine intention. Others may say that they were wise and statesmanlike leaders. The Anabaptists, however, retained the original vision of Luther and Zwingli, enlarged it and gave it body and form, and set out to achieve it in actual experience. They proceeded to organize a church composed solely of earnest Christians, or again, genuine Christians, and actually found the people for it. They did not believe in any case that the size of the response should determine whether or not the truth of God should be applied. Amen. Let me read that one again. They did not believe in any case that the size of the response should determine whether or not the truth of God should be applied and praise the Lord they refused to compromise. They preferred to make a radical break with 1,500 years of history and culture, if necessary, rather than to break with the New Testament. Remember those words that we read the other evening there in Acts? We ought to obey God rather than man. And so again, they ultimately chose to make this break with the church so that they might take up the cross and that they might follow Jesus. Again, they believed that the essence of Christianity was discipleship. They believed, brothers and sisters, as I believe as well, that the Christian life started with a life-changing experience. Do you believe that? They believed in regeneration. They believed in transformation. They could not understand a Christianity that produced no change, no amendment of life, no evidence in the life of the Christian. Bender went on to say that first and fundamental in the Anabaptist vision was the conception of the essence of Christianity as discipleship. It was a concept which meant the transformation of an entire way of life, of the individual believer and of society, so that it could be fashioned after the teachings and the example of Jesus. The Anabaptists could not understand a Christianity which made regeneration, holiness, and love primarily a matter of intellect. Of doctrinal belief or of subjective experience rather than one of transformation of life. They demanded an outward expression of the inner experience. Repentance must be evidenced by newness of behavior. They could not fathom a faith that, that laid dormant. Minnow Simons put it like this. He said that true evangelical faith cannot lay dormant. It, it clothes the naked, it feeds the hungry, it comforts the sorrowful, it shelters the destitute, it serves those that harm it, it binds up that which is wounded, and it becomes all things to all creatures. Again, brothers and sisters, they believe that true faith produced transformation. It produced change of life. They believed the Apostle Paul when he wrote to the Corinthians these words. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. 
They believed him when he wrote to the church there at Rome, when he said, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. They believed him when he wrote to the church there, to the Colossians, and he said, lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in the knowledge after the image of him that created him. Brothers, I ask you not, have you been baptized? I ask you not, are you a member of a church? I ask you this evening, have you experienced that new birth? Have you been born again? Has your life been changed? Has it been transformed? A new creature, a renewed mind, a new man. They could not understand a Christianity that produced no fruit. I can't either. True faith coupled with true repentance always, every time, absolutely produces transformation and change. If it does not, it is not a saving faith. They believe that. They believe James where he wrote there in chapter 2, and I'm going to read from 14 to 26. Very familiar passage. What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not words? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give to them not those things which are needful to the body, what does it profit? Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well, the devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled with saith, which saith, Abraham believed God and it was imputed unto him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. You see how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way. For as the body, there in verse 26, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Again, brothers and sisters, they believe that true faith produces works, just like James said. Did they believe in a works-based religion that somehow by uh, performing uh, certain rituals or by uh, putting money in the offering or doing good things that somehow that we could achieve salvation? Absolutely not. Did they believe in sinless perfection? Absolutely not. Were they legalists as they would be accused of as being today? Most certainly not. I came across a quote uh, just this week of uh, something Leonard Ravenhill said. Um, uh, he said this, when there's something in the Bible that churches don't like, they call it legalism. Think about that. When there's something in the Bible that churches don't like, they call it legalism. That happens. They were not legalists. They believed again in salvation by grace through faith, but insisted that true faith always results in holy living. They believed that true faith results in a very, very real commitment to follow Jesus Christ to holy living. They had a vision for true discipleship. And let me say again, it showed in their lives. It was revealed in their lives. Uh, even their enemies, it's interesting when you read through some of the historical accounts, some of the things that the enemies of the Anabaptists said about the Anabaptists, you have to admire the Anabaptists even more. Ulrich Zwingli said of the Anabaptists, and I want you really to, again, to, to, to listen to, to, to some of these, 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 these uh, statements. He says, if you investigate their life and conduct, it seems at first contact 
irreproachable, pious, unassuming, attractive, yea, above this world. Even those who are inclined to be critical will say that their lives are excellent. Heinrich Bullinger, an enemy of the Anabaptist, admitted, those who unite themselves with them will by their ministers be received into their church by rebaptism and repentance and newness of life. They henceforth lead their lives under a semblance of quiet spiritual conduct. They denounce covetousness, pride, profanity, lewd conversation, and the immorality of the world, drinking and gluttony. Wolfgang Capito of Strasbourg said in 1527 concerning the Swiss brethren, I frankly confess that in most Anabaptists there is in evidence piety and a consecration and indeed a zeal which is beyond any suspicion of insincerity. For what earthly advantage could they hope to win by enduring exile, torture, and unspeakable punishment of the flesh? I testify before God that I cannot say that on account of a lack of wisdom, they are somewhat indifferent towards earthly things, but rather from divine, from heavenly motives. Some of the leaders of the Canton of Bern wrote to the, camp, the Council of Bern in 1532, and they admitted, the Anabaptists have the semblance of outward a piety to a far greater degree than we. And all of the churches which unitedly with us confess Christ and they avoid offensive sins which are very common among us. Sebastian Frank called by Bender, and actually I think this is a quote from the Anabaptist vision, secondary source for me. An objective, um, Bender, uh, this, this Sebastian Frank, who Bender called an objective and yet sympathetic witness, but an opponent of Anabaptism. He said that the Anabaptists soon gained a large following, drawing many sincere souls who had a zeal for God, for they taught nothing but love, faith, and the cross. They showed themselves humble and patient under much suffering. They break bread with one another as an evidence of unity and of love. They helped each other faithfully and called each other brothers. They died as martyrs, patiently and humbly, enduring all persecution. And lastly, Franz Agricola, a Catholic theologian, and I'll tell you what, back in the old days, they could really name a book. His book was entitled Against the Terrible Errors of the Anabaptists. But this is what he said. Among the existing heretical sects, there is none which in appearance leads a more a modest or pious life than the Anabaptists. As concerns their outward public life, they are irreproachable. No lying, deception, swearing, strife, harsh language, no intemperate eating or drinking, no outward personal display is found among them, but humility and patience and uprightness and neatness and honesty, temperance, straightforwardness, in such measure that one would suppose that they had the Holy Spirit of God. Brothers and sisters, these weren't Anabaptists. These were not friends of the Anabaptists. These were the enemies. I like what he says there, his observation. In such measure that one would suppose that they had the Holy Spirit. Think about the significance of what they're saying. They seem to be living holy lives. They're not drunkards. They're not whores or whoremongers. They seem to be more Christian than we are, but they're not Christians. So let's persecute them. The essence of Christianity, brothers and sisters, is discipleship. It is following Jesus. Dirk Phillips, an early Anabaptist. Jesus, with his doctrine, life, and example, is our teacher, leader, and guide. Him we must hear and we must follow. Amen. Amen. They believed... They believed that it was impossible. Imagine this. Imagine this. 
They believed that it was impossible to be a follower of Jesus Christ without actually following Jesus. You say that again. They believed that it was impossible to be a follower of Jesus Christ or a Christian without actually following Jesus. They believed that every true child of God was to take seriously those words of Peter. Where he said, for even hereunto were you called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, what? That you should follow in his steps, to follow and to imitate Jesus. Brothers and sisters, this is the way of the Christian. This is the way of the cross. In his mercy, in his holiness, in his grace, in his humility, in his compassion, in his surrender, in his sacrifice, to follow Jesus for the true child of God, to emulate, to imitate Jesus, is everything. It is everything. And sometimes... That following of Jesus involves suffering in our lives. And sometimes that following of Jesus, it, it causes us, or it calls us to turn the other cheek when people come against us. And sometimes it involves loving other people that do us evil and that do us harm. As I mentioned earlier, that verse from Matthew chapter number 18, sometimes it involves us forgiving people. Brothers and sisters, this is the way of Jesus. This is the way of the cross. Those brothers, those sisters had a vision for true discipleship and it showed in their lives. It will always show in someone's life. And I'm going to leave us with this challenge this evening. Does it show in yours? Does it show in mine? Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you We thank you for Jesus. We thank you as we find ourselves here on Good Friday. We thank you for the cross. We have not been redeemed with corruptible things, but we have been redeemed with the precious blood of the Lamb of Jesus. Lord, I thank you for that. Thank you, God, for sending your son. Thank you, Jesus, for, uh, for coming and, and willingly offering up yourself there on the cross. I thank you for that. Lord, I thank you for that faith that was once delivered to the saints. Lord, I thank you for that clarion call that you issued in our text. If any man will come after me, let him take up his cross daily and follow me. That is what it means to be a disciple. That is what it means to be a Christ follower. And Lord, I thank you for the example, the faithfulness of those early Anabaptists as they read the word of God, as they, as they read the words of Jesus, and they earnestly and seriously and intentionally sought to walk in obedience and to take up that cross every single day and to follow Jesus. Lord, I thank you for their commitment to true and genuine discipleship. But what about us? Lord, I, I, I look at what Christianity is, and Lord, truth be told, sometimes I look at my own life, and I see, Lord, that we have fallen far. Lord, we have fallen far. 
follow your example, to imitate and to emulate you. Lord, it's easy to talk about. But Lord, there are those times and those situations in life hard sometimes to put them into practice. Lord, sometimes we fall short. Lord, I pray that you would help us as your people today to recapture that vision for true discipleship. To follow you God, I pray that we would do that in such a way that it would, it would change our churches. That it would change this church. That it would change the churches that are represented here this evening. God, that it would change our churches. And Lord, that it would be that, that just that intentionality. God, that it would be the spark that starts revival among our people again. Lord, we need move in our churches, to move in our hearts and lives, to stir us and to shake us. God, to set us afire for you, like those men centuries ago were. And Lord, I pray tonight, if there would be someone here that has not experienced that new birth, they've not been saved, they've not been regenerated, they've not been born again, God, I pray that you would speak to their hearts. God, I pray that you deal with their hearts tonight. I don't care if they, they're a baptized member of any church that's represented here. I don't care if they're a member of the church, any church that's represented here. If they haven't been born again, God, I pray that you'd speak to their hearts.